Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name is Ray Heron, great to have you along for this episode. Later on in the show, we're going for a ride with Matthew Day Gillett on an electric Harley. Going to see how far that live wire can go on a charge and what the situation is when you want to recharge it. Also, I've been trying out some Magna gloves, got my first look at the Magna Exile Gloves. Share my thoughts with you on that very shortly before we go any further though. Let's get into the news. Yamaha R7, the twin-cylinder sports renaissance, starts now. Yamaha have announced the return of the R7 nameplate to its lineup with the soon-to-arrive MT-07 or CP2-powered R7. But unlike its predecessor, the bike isn't all about all-out performance, and that news is fantastic. The sports bike class as a whole has been dying a slow and painful to watch death over recent years, with performance and technology getting even closer to the likes of the MotoGP levels. While for track fiends the increase in power and tech has been welcome, for road riders it's largely meant the bikes are much harder to live with and less fun in the restraints of the real world. Manufacturers are beginning to see this with Aprilia's new RS660 and now Yamaha with its new R7, both adding twin-cylinder sports middleweights to their lineup in an effort to coax riders to this segment of the motorcycling market. The new R7 certainly looks the goods and brings the sports segment back to the real world with an affordable $14,499 price point for the full power model. Full power? Yep, Yamaha Motor New Zealand have confirmed the R7 will enter the market in both 655cc lambs and 689cc high output variants. Something that Tenere owners have wanted since the Tenere 7's debut in 2019. The lambs version of the R7 is priced at the slightly lower $13,499 price tag and will go head to head vying for riders hearts with the likes of Kawasaki's established Ninja 650 also available in lambs in full power, uh, Yamaha's CBR650R and the soon to arrive Aprilia RS660. Yamaha sets itself apart though with the truly super sport inspired rider triangle with clip on handlebars, adjustable 41mm KYB forks, rebound and preload adjustable rear monoshock and the wet weight claimed at 188kgs which should make for a fun combination with the torque rich CP2 engine. Backing up the engine is a 6-speed transmission and the high output model will be able to be fitted with an optional quick shifter to speed up the shifting process. Yamaha seems to be making it very clear in its marketing material that they're targeting a younger riding audience with the new R7, with the video featuring predominantly younger riders in both the real world and on track, and you can check that video out uh, at onthrottle.co.nz. Hopefully targeting a younger rider pays off for Yamaha, anecdotally sports bikes have uh, long since fallen out of favour with younger riders due to their increasing price and lack of real world usability in recent years. The R7 looks to be a nice blend of style and fun for a super sport with the real world usability, power and rideability of the CP2 engine. It should be a brilliantly fun bike when it arrives here. Yamaha Moto New Zealand expects it to be here around about December 2021, with both models set to arrive in either Yamaha Team Blue or Performance Black colour schemes. For photos and full specs of the new Yamaha YZF-R7, head to onthrottle.co.nz. 
2022 Beta RR range debuts. As the saying goes, there's always room for improvement, and that's the exact approach Beta motorcycles have taken when it comes to the new 2022 RR range. Due in New Zealand around September, the new Beta Enduro focused RR models look to be the goods with slick new graphics and upgrades continuing throughout the chassis, suspension and engine of both the two-stroke and four-stroke models. Currently, Beta New Zealand's distributor Euromoto doesn't plan on bringing in the RR125 two-stroke or the RR354 stroke to the Kiwi market due to pricing and low demand for the outgoing models. That means the NZ Beta Enduro range will consist of six models for 2022. The goal of the Beta engineers for the 2022 RR range was to fine-tune the bikes without altering their unique characteristics, accentuating the outstanding qualities setting each individual model apart. Upgrades covering the whole RR range for 2022 include new compression damping settings with independent high and low speed damping rates for the monoshock. Beta says this prevents the two parameters from influencing each other and limiting the suspension tuning options for the rider. The fork settings have also been revised to improve rideability and precision during extreme use. The fork tubes are now a different colour thanks to the new anodizing process which improves the surface hardness and corrosion resistance of the fork. Visually, the 2022 Beta RR models are now featuring a hot new all-red colour scheme combined with new graphics which perfectly match the shape and componentry of the bike. The new style gives the bike a very sleek race-bred look. But Beta hasn't just given the bikes a new look and revised suspension, with certain bikes in the range getting a broader hit with the upgrade stick. For 2022, the RR300 2-stroke gets completely revised engine, the new heart beats along with an all-new larger bore cylinder, new piston, new power valve, and naturally a larger bore means a shorter stroke which is achieved by the new shorter throw crankshaft. The cylinder head is also completely new, having been redesigned to accommodate the other changes to the engine. The RR300 breathes through a new, smaller diameter silencer, with Beta claiming improved top-end performance and traceability of the engine. The 300 model also gains a new clutch with smoother and less strenuous control action, more effective engagement and increased transmissible torque. The clutch also features a mechanically adjustable spring preload offering a choice of three settings with a specific adjuster ring. Better says that the new engine combined with a dedicated new engine control unit map boasts a smoother and more progressive response to the throttle input and a more linear power delivery. Despite the significant hike in maximum power, the bike as a whole is a lot easier to handle, being more intuitive and forgiving to use than before. The RR250 also gets a clutch with diaphragm springs, with the idea behind this being to make the clutch action lighter, more progressive and more controllable in order to significantly reduce rider fatigue. Beta is claiming both engagement and disengagement have been improved, while the clutch is now capable of transmitting even more torque. The 2022 four-stroke RR models all gain new electronic control units. This unit has been improved to offer better dry and wet map management and to take advantage of the engine brake effect more effectively to let riders make full use of the potential engine. 
The map selector button remains in its familiar position between the fuel tank and the headstock where it is easily accessible but protected against accidental knocks and bumps which could inadvertently change the setting or break the button itself. The four strokes also gain a lighter new primary transmission. While these models are also equipped with a new clutch with diaphragm spring with three user settable spring preload levels. Pricing is yet to be announced for the 2022 Beta Enduro range, with the first bikes expected to land in September 2021. For more details and photos of the 2022 Beta RR range, head to onthrottle.co.nz. Righto. Close the visor so you can hear me a bit better. Welcome to the world's fastest scooter. <laughs> So if the lack of engine noise is any giveaway today, I am riding a Harley-Davidson live wire and I'm a wee bit conflicted. Apart from the lack of clutch, which every single time you get on this you start looking for, I picked this up on Monday, it's now Thursday. Open the visor because I'm fogging up. And um, yeah, the other day I'd only ridden it the once and Harley announced that they are splitting live wire off into its own brand. So I don't quite know how I feel about that at the moment. It's sort of a bit of a Buell feeling. I'm hoping it doesn't mean the end of the live wire because this thing is so cool. Uh, let's close that lid down properly. It's such a good uh, experience to ride one of these. If you get the chance, do it. It's hilarious fun. Um, I only just noticed that the rear tyre on this bike is a wee bit flat-topped despite it only having done 700 k's. So um, this is definitely one of the bikes that at the press launch uh, demonstrated the tyre flying ability of the live wire. So yeah, today I have a mission, apart from riding the live wire, um, which I have to give back sometime next week. Uh, my mission today is to go to the Wairere Falls near Matamata and collect the River Geo tag thingy for the best New Zealand challenge. Far out this thing's quick. I'm in uh, eco mode at the moment, if you can see the uh, dash here. Eco mode, it's showing a range of about 165 k's at the speed. It's a, about a 110 k loop. These bikes aren't particularly great at highway riding, so uh, we'll see when I get to Matamata <laughs> uh, just if we're going to make this, um, make it there and back. I've charged it up today, um, charged it up from 79% after bringing it back from Hamilton. And um, um, I rode this in Oregon and Portland, well Portland, Oregon I should say, the world launch, I was lucky enough to be the only Kiwi to go over to that. Portland by the way, it's like Hamilton but on crack, uh, quite literally on crack. Oh this is going to be interesting, it's saying 92 kilometer range, well, at least there's a fast charger in Metamata, that's all I can say. <laughs> and there's a guy on an internal combustion engine bike trying to catch up to me. Um, so yeah, what's he on? It's like a KTM possibly. Um, yeah, I did this, did the launch of this in Portland, Oregon. It was awesome. Got a decent range out of the bikes, um, but it's definitely it's a commuting bike, a city bike. It's not made for this highway stuff that I'm taking it on at the moment, as the estimated range uh, dictates. But it's a fun bike, and that's uh, well, that's part of the appeal of motorcycles. I'm still reaching for the non-existent clutch. Oh yeah, it is a KTM, it's on a 790 or something. So yeah, we're, um, the whole thing I was going to do with this, and hopefully I still manage to get it done, is, um, well there's these River App Geotags for this Best in New Zealand Challenge. 
So my goal is to knock off a few of those on electric power only and see if we can um, get up the leaderboard because I'm currently eight equal with about a million other people. So um, yeah, that's my plan for this bike while I've got it. Just something different, it's not a review per se, um, though I am living with it. So um, as I said, this is my second ride on it. I've had to charge it so far uh, once. Um, so I'm hoping uh, over the weekend when I take it to Rotorua where I'm planning to grab another couple of geocaches, um, I'm hoping that then I will get um, a chance to chuck it on a fast charger, which would be an experience in itself as well. Because the one thing they wouldn't let us do when we were at, I've been to three launches on this bike now. I went to Malaysia when it was a prototype. I went to Oregon and I went to Pukekohe where they launched it on the track. And uh, KTM dude's coming up close for a gander. Um, and yeah, they never let us charge it. Netlire was not a thing that was um, going to happen. So actually charging it is... Um, yeah, it's kind of cool. You don't have to use petrol. Um, that took, um, what was it? Just a little over two hours to charge on the wall charger uh, from 79%. Um, the last 80, uh, last 20% of charging any battery is um, always the slowest. It's hassle-free, it's easy. The hardest thing is taking the uh, charger pack out from under the seat and putting it back because it's sort of all coiled in under there nicely and it, it only fits just so. Um, but no, it's, I'm enjoying this. Uh, my range is going up, thank God, because um, would have sucked to only get to Matamata and then have to turn back. So it's saying I've got 92% battery left. It is quite cold as well. Lithium ion batteries don't like cold weather. Um, but thankfully it's not raining, because it was pissing down with rain when I picked this up on Monday, and that was not hugely fun. One thing's for sure, it's a shit ton faster than uh, Rosie did at the rally. And yeah, so we're enjoying this lovely evening ride. Uh, it's interesting riding this out in the real world, like away from the Harley people and um, everyone that's trying to sort of give you the best of this bike. So yeah, there's definitely some pros and cons to this bike. I said at the beginning that it's like the world's most overpowered expensive scooter. Uh, it's $54,000. Um, and as such, only seven or eight have been sold in New Zealand since they arrived last year. Or at least seven or eight have been registered for the road. This is one of them. Um, so, yeah, there's a very interesting... They're not a mass market bike, and Harley knew that when they brought it out. A bit of a disappointment that the uptake is so slow, and there is so much hate towards this bike. It's ridiculous. And if you're watching this, you're either curious, or you're a fan. I doubt anyone that is actually watching this that has strong feelings against electric motorcycles. And that's a shame really, because it's you're missing out. Like, <laughs> it is quite fun, and yes, range is limited. Um, electric bikes don't do great, or electric vehicles in general don't do great on highways, just constant speed and whatnot. They just churn through your battery. It's got its place. Like in the town, it gets really decent range. Like, I could do my old commute up the Southern Motorway in Auckland, been most of a week without having to charge this thing. Okay, so my plan, as I said, I'm off to Wairere Falls, or at least the car park, to grab a, uh, a geocache for the River App Challenge. And I'm hoping that this will sort of show that I've got enough range in this to get myself from Cambridge to Rotorua. Um, if I get to Wairere Falls, come back and I have to charge up at the fast charger in Matamata, well then, um, 
Yeah, it's it's not going to cut the mustard. So the falls, by the way, they're out there in those mountains somewhere. Um, so it's not a huge ride. Uh, it's about 110k there and back from home. Um, and at the moment, it's showing that um, I should be able to do this. Um, there is the anxiety there, though, uh, the range anxiety. I did try and absolutely hammer the, um, the spike at the world launch as well. And I think we got over, I think we got 100 miles or something, and we still had range, so uh, it might be a bit unfounded, but being out here unsupported on my own, um, with a wife with two grizzly children sitting at home, waiting for me to come home and cook dinner, I'd rather not have to cut stock and charge this up. I seem so focused on the range, but that just, that's a whole very big part of riding this bike, is you are limited in what you can do with it. It's not like I could jump on this and go down to Topor in one hit. I might be able to do it, but there's not a lot of charging infrastructure along State Highway 1 between here and between me and there. So I've done 40Ks, I've got somewhere between 5 and 10Ks to go before I reach my destination. Bike's saying I've got plenty of range. Yeah, I've not been hammering it and I have been in uh, eco mode this whole time. Uh, you do have multiple rider modes, what you got. Um, three rider preference ones, uh, road, sport, rain and eco, plus your three rider customizable ones. And you can go onto the menu real deep. Um, you can turn everything all the way down, make it um, absolutely gutless, uh, but have the best range possible. Or you can turn everything up, or you can sort of tailor it how you want. So you can sort of tailor how, how the regen comes in, you can tailor how the power comes on, all that kind of stuff. I had a bit of a play with it at Pukekohe, it was a bit of fun. Um, but then, basically, I just turned everything up to the max because on the racetrack I wasn't caring about range. But yeah, surprisingly comfortable for such a small, sporty seat. Normally on my bike I've got a really sore butt by this point in the ride. So it's, um, you could tour. It's one of the things I really want to know about Long Way Up is if the bikes that Ewan and Charlie rode still had the same seats and subframes. Uh, I'd love to see something on those bikes in depth even though they're completely irrelevant. Whoa, that's where I want to go. Stopped really well. <laughs> I was looking for my <laughs> gear shifter again there. And we found the waterfalls. We're not even at the car park. Look at that. Point of interest challenge awarded. Congrats, you visited Wairere Falls. Hooray, thank you. I know I did that because I've got a photo to prove it. Um, time to head home. So charging bike takes about eight hours on wall charger. Uh, one, one to two hours on a DC fast charger. Um, so one of the reasons I'm going to hopefully go to Rotorua over the weekend um, so part of the goal is to use a DC fast charger for the first time because let's face it this is the only motorcycle on the market currently that has need for one and um, two being it's the DC fast chargers extend your range um, as well so you can get a lot more achieved in a day with the DC fast charger than you can plugging into your wall. What do I like about it? It's cool flies under the radar surprisingly well um, and 
yeah, I am genuinely quite, um, well, everyone knows I'm a bit of a fan of this bike. It's, yeah, it is what it is. It's something quite cool, but then there are those problems, and um, main problem is the price point. $54,000 for a bike that does 235 kilometers max on a charge, um, and then you have to charge it for eight hours. Harley does say that you should charge the bike um, on a DC fast charger only once out of every four charges uh, to maintain battery life. I don't know how that works specifically, but um, yeah, apparently if you use a DC fast charger, it's not great for the battery if you're constantly using them. Yeah, I love the styling. I love the riding position. Um, as I said earlier, it's, um, or I may have said earlier, I can't remember. Um, the riding position is comfy. It's sort of a low down, sort of aggressive street fighter stance. I'm a bit of a fan of it. Um, definitely starting to feel um, a bit of pain in the backside. Um, but it's nothing in terms of pain like the Honda Rally seat is. Surprisingly comfortable considering how little real estate there is and how little padding. Um, I probably wouldn't put a pillion on the back though. Uh, just saying. Pillion, yeah, probably wouldn't enjoy being on this particularly long. Uh, other things I like, in fact it's got adjustable suspension. You can, well, in theory you can take it on a track, but I think um, most racetracks actually um, don't want EVs on their tracks because if they crash, um, it's a whole hullabaloo. But it's cool. Um, you can have a heck of a lot of fun. It's just twist and go, so any idiot can do it. Um, the hardest part is um, low speed operation because um, you don't have a clutch to feather, it's all that precise control from your right hand. But it's a cool bike, I, I really dig it. And yeah, the problem is it's price and it's range. Um, the range, yeah, you can get over it. If you're riding only in the city, the range actually isn't going to be a problem. If you're living in Auckland or Christchurch or Wellington, um, yeah, you're not going to have any issues with, you're not going to be going far enough in a day if you're just commuting on one of these to have any uh, issues when it comes to the range of the bike. But that price point, 54 grand. In America, when they debuted this bike, they said it was going to be about 28, 29,000 US dollars. At the time, I did a conversion that came out to just over 40 grand. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's palatable. But 54 grand, it's a real stretch. And I think that's um, shown in just how few people have actually bought this bike. Right. I am just about to turn back onto State Highway 1, hopefully. There is a lot of traffic, but traffic's a good thing on the live wire because you go slower and you get better range. Um, my hands are going numb, or at least my hands are very, very cold. Rub them together a bit. Do some clapping, get some blood circulating in them again. Right, so turning onto State Highway 1 from, what is it, State Highway 29 or something? The road that goes to Tauranga. Um, I have 34% battery remaining, 45 k's of range, and I think I'm going to get home. Uh, but how much juice will I have at home, and will I have to continue riding at 80 kilometers an hour? I have been very ginger on the throttle. I haven't needed to go fast, so I haven't, but I've also been conscious that um, I'll get in a lot of trouble if I run out of battery on the side of the road and uh, miss making dinner for my family. So we are cruising along. Oh, I can just whack on cruise control because we are in a line of traffic. So 20 k's to Cambridge, 43 k's of range, 
uh, that should mean I have 20 k's of range left in theory when I get home. In theory! So yeah riding the live wire it's, it's a roadster so um, how do we say you're out in the wind out in the breeze a bit. Um, I miss having a fairing. The uh, little bikini fairing on the live wire doesn't exactly do much other than look cool and it's got a weird hole in it actually. I'm guessing it's where an accessory screen goes. I know there's a lot of accessories you can get for this bike to customise it. But yeah, like there's this slot in the top of the um, cowling that goes over the light. And it's got a hole in the bottom of it, so you can like see that the headlight's on. Why, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's there. Um, it could almost be a phone hole, to be honest. Um, but for that I've got the Go, not the GoPro, the Quad Lock. Um, because I'm not worried about high frequency vibrations on an electric motorcycle. Crikey, it's a bumpy, bumpy road. Uh, the suspension's definitely set a lot firmer than what I'm used to. <laughs> so, uh, in practice, um, you may remember way back when this was a prototype, it had the worst mirrors ever envisaged by man. Um, all they let you see was your knees, they used to hang down below the bar, and uh, yeah, they looked cool, they didn't function at all. Um, the mirrors on the bike are, they're better, they function, they are incredibly clear. Yeah, I have to squeeze my elbows in to actually get a good view behind me. Um, which is a bit annoying. I get a good view of my uh, forearms otherwise. Um, and I have fiddled around trying to get the adjustment just so. Um, and that seems to be sort of the best I can get out of these mirrors. What else can you do? You can fiddle around with the traction control, which um, I am not particularly keen to do with the roads being slippery. They're not wet today. Um, they were definitely wet um, when I had the traction control kick in and save my butt on day one with this bike. But yeah, um, overall the ride is continuing, it is nice. Um, I'm feeling a lot more relaxed now. One of the things with riding the electric bike is range anxiety. And it's not designed for the sort of highway cruising sort of thing. It's designed for someone living in a big city, really. Um, so thinking Auckland, Christchurch, Wellington even. Um, it's not really designed to be on the open road like I'm currently using it for. Uh, but it's doing fine. Um, I would like to be in a more sportier ride mode, but uh, when we get closer to Cambridge I might do that and see how much battery I can waste in the last 10Ks. What else can I say about this bike? It's, yeah, the TFT screen's really nice. Uh, nice and clear, easy to read. Uh, green means go. <laughs> um, it's got green accents on the side of it once the bike's turned on. Yeah, overall the headlight. Um, so LED headlight, it is now getting dark, uh, the sun has set, it is cold, my hands are numb, and the headlight seems to be working quite nicely. Uh, what happens, uh, high beam, let's turn high beam on, oh yeah, there's a nice spot from that high beam. So yeah, this is, um, we're coming up to the end of day one with the live wire, well day one of actually using it, apart from just bringing it home. Yeah, we've ticked off our first point of interest from the River Challenge. Um, I have two more in mind that I'd like to get. If I'm super lucky, there are a couple more in Tauranga that I'd like to try and get, but um, riding all weekend might not go down so well with the wife, so uh, we'll play that by ear. 30% battery left, 49Ks of range. I'll catch up with you a little later on. Well I have switched it into sports mode because why not, I'm nearly home. I have 22% battery left. This bike is a lot of fun to just twist the throttle and see how quick it'll go. Um, yeah, it is getting dark, it is very cold. I was hoping I could overtake these people but I can't see where I am. Man this bike's quick and it's, 
it just goes. So I think there's definitely enough juice in this thing to successfully get me to Rotorua, which is the next goal. So Saturday or Sunday, it's currently Thursday, uh, depending on which day has the better weather forecast, I'm going to take this bike to Rotorua. Uh, there are two points of interest there, one of which is Lake Tarawera, the other one I think is the central city of Rotorua. Turns out the, the reason they say no passing on the painted median is because, uh, yeah, it's slippery. <laughs> so yeah, my next plan is Rotorua. I'll talk to you then. Okay, so I am in the CBD of Rotorua now, and um, I've managed to go out to Lake Tarawera on one charge. I've hopefully got both the points of interest here in Rotorua for the river challenge. And now I'm on my way to find something to eat because I have just plugged in the live wire at the uh, CBD DC fast charger. It's going to take an hour and five minutes apparently. So um, I might find myself a cafe. Um, the way the bike's been going is brilliant, though um, I did get to the uh, low charge warning. Um, it wasn't, um, I got it down to 6% battery and about 10k max range. So uh, yeah, came here and met a friendly Uber driver with a Gen 2 Nissan Leaf. I knew his stuff was telling me all, a whole lot about uh, EV life and ownership and apparently there's a whole lot of free charges around in like Auckland and Hamilton. Um, but yeah, have to pay for this charger, it's I think 50 cents a kilowatt hour or something. Um, but yeah, we'll find out how much it costs to charge the live wire at the same time and yeah, it's yeah, not all that bad experience. I did get a bit freaked out though. Well, not freaked out, I was a bit nervous on my way back while well, going out to Tarawera and coming back, just keeping my eye on that battery percentage. But we did it, uh, did 110k or so I believe on the one charge or highway um, with a tiny smidge of uh, low speed stuff here in um, Rotorua. So yeah, 100k open road ride, an hour to charge on a fast charger, yeah, not too bad at all. I am going to find something to eat and uh, gather some thoughts. I've had myself uh, a nice big brekkie and a nice coffee, Fat Dog Cafe here in Rotorua, and I just received a text saying that the live wire is charged. Um, so um, ChargeNet sends you a text, and you also get a notification if you've got their app um, saying the bike's charged or your vehicle's charged, uh, and it tells you um, some interesting stats. So um, ChargeNet charging finished, battery at 99%, having taken 64 minutes, and delivered 13.9 kilowatt hours at a cost of $5.56. So $5.56 to charge up the live wire from pretty much dead battery. 6% um, was getting a bit, a bit low. And yeah, she's all done. So, just coming back up to the bike now. See what the bike says. Bike is here, bike says, beep boop beep, 100%, 160 k's range, user delayed. Don't know what that means, but yeah. Um, like that doodah, put it back. What is it? It's definitely been an experience. Okay, charging finished. And it wasn't as hard as I thought. The um, only quirk you have to worry about is whether or not there's another vehicle charging uh, when you want to charge. Um, but $5.50 to charge up, like that's a lot cheaper than a tank of gas. Um, though interesting, talking to um, Uber driver who was here before me, uh, if you, there are some different stations have different pricing. So if you're in Auckland um, or any of the major centres, you often get free charging. Auckland, Hamilton, 
apparently do it. Don't know about South Island. Um, and yes, yeah, some charge you like a smaller amount, but they also charge you by the minute. Um, so this dude uh, was just a straight pay per kilowatt hour. Um, so others do 25 cents per kilowatt hour and 25 cents per minute you occupy the charger, which can get a lot more expensive, I imagine. So um, yeah, we've charged it up and now we can head on home. Outstanding, and of course uh, Harley-Davidson announced a few weeks ago that they're spinning off the Livewire as its own brand, reminiscent of Buell all those years ago. Thanks very much, man, for taking us for a ride on the Livewire. Looking forward to hear more about that bike uh, as time goes on and watching its development and becoming a bit more mainstream. I mentioned at the top of the show, though, I've been trying out some new gloves, so let's break into that story now. I bought my last pair of motorcycle gloves in 2017. Yep, 2017. I've literally worn the same pair of motorcycle gloves while riding for the last four and a bit years. Daily commuting, adventure riding, road trips, literally everything. Wow, you say, they must be some pretty amazing gloves. My answer to that is no. They're not waterproof, they're not thermally insulated, they have no special features. They don't even have Velcro anymore. They're motocross gloves and they've been wet so many times they smell. They're so old that they're likely to fall to dust at the first sign of hitting the road. They're not going to protect me anymore. I don't even know why I wear them. If I come off, my hands are just going to fall off. Why do I wear them? No idea. No idea. But the team at Forbes and Davies heard of my lack of hand protection and got in contact saying that I should try out some of their Magna gloves. So they sent me a pair of Magna Exile gloves and said I should try them out for a while. Now, because I've been wearing thin motocross gloves for so long, I'm used to actually feeling the bars, I'm feeling the grips, I'm knowing what my hands are doing, so it was a bit of a learning curve, getting used to the thicker gloves, something thicker than a damp paper towel. It felt a little bit wrong, but I stuck with them and after a week I actually grew to like them. Well, let's take a look at the features, Magna Exile gloves. Firstly, Magna say they're waterproof. Yeah, sure, everything's waterproof until you get it wet. But having ridden in the Magna Exile gloves on a good couple of monsoon days, well, I can say they're actually waterproof. They're doing really well. In fact, they're one of the only few items of riding gear I own that stands true to the waterproof claim. The index fingers on each hand have squeegees, little rubber veins for wiping water off the visor of your helmet, and they work quite nicely as well. Uh, the gloves have a touch tip for using your mobile phone without taking your gloves off, which works nicely. Though having gloves on makes you a little clumsy at maybe the text typing conversation. However, you can still get away with answering the phone or checking a Google map. They're a full length glove. They come roughly a third of the way up my forearm with an adjustable section just above the wrist and a Velcro fastener right on the wrist for keeping them snug on your hands. They're soft and comfortable inside. They've got knuckle protection. The first thing I noticed on the first day riding them into work was the amount of thermal insulation though. Not only were my hands warm, they seem to cut off any drafts so the cold air doesn't go up my arms and cool down my core. They're great. I've never actually had hands so warm while commuting to work, even with heated grips. They're also really easy to get on. Even when one hand is already wearing a glove, you can still, you've still got enough dexterity to get the other glove on quite comfortably. They won't be very good for adventure riding. I can tell that now I'll get way too hot. But for the mile munching in between, I think the Magna Exile gloves are brilliant. 
and I'm really looking forward to my first road trip where I can put them to the test. For photos of the Magna Exile glove, jump on our social media, Facebook and Instagram, or search out at T7Adventures on Instagram as well. All the photos are up there, and I'll bring you more updates over the next 12 months. And that about wraps up the show. Thank you very much for sticking with us throughout the show. Love to have your feedback. You can always email us podcast at kiwirider.co.nz or you can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Please, please, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to the show on. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating, whether that be a star review or an actual written review, that would be much appreciated. Helps more people find the show and we can justify making more Kiwi motorcycling content for you. That's it. My name is Ray Heron. Thank you very much for listening. This is Kiwi Rider Podcast. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. (laughs) 